folks. Welcome to Two Feet Apart with me, your host, Peachy Patrick. Two Feet Apart is a space for individuals to learn that language matters, that words mean things, that to embrace diversity means to practice inclusivity within the LGBTQ plus Indigenous, people of color, and Black communities. To embrace diversity means to provide accessible practices for those who possess visible and invisible disabilities. It's a space to place egos in the crevices of our beings in hopes of broadening mental horizons to foster growth. It's a space to fuel mindfulness. It's a space to emulate vulnerability in the sharing of our stories because our stories are our greatest strengths and our strongest powers, our superpowers. With that in mind, happy listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Two Feet Apart with me, your host, P.T. Patrick. Today, we have one of my very favorite people, Fallon Farinacci. She is a Red River Métis. Um, and Fallon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, my name is Fallon Farinacci. As you mentioned, my spirit name is White Thunder Woman. Uh, the elder who gifted me my name said that I'm here to make a lot of noise. And I do just that. I use my voice to raise awareness about MMIW. So that's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, Two-Spirited, LGBTQIA+. I uh, share my story of loss and trauma, and I also like to throw in there um, because it's important to celebrate Indigenous resilience and, and just talking about the uh, reconnection um, to my culture and myself and my identity. I love that, which you already know because I'm such a huge fan of yours on and off screen. Uh, and I think one of the really important things that you touched on there is just that as much as you talked about like the trauma and advocacy, it's also really important to celebrate the joy and the resiliency. Um, and you do that so beautifully. In regards to your spirit name, could you share a little bit about like what that process looks like? Like, is there a certain age that you get to when you're given that name um, and things like that? Mm, I love that question. I, from what I understand is that you can receive your spirit name when never it's it is there for you when the opportunity comes I, I know some people who have received their spirit name as adults I know some folks who have received theirs uh at I believe birth I'm trying to think of the one person but definitely young age and then I actually know one person I'm sure there are many others, but I personally know someone who has two spirit names and that's because their first spirit name, um, not that it needed replacing, but another name came to an elder in their community and they, then they were gifted that name. So uh, for me, my process was I, I sought out my name. I went out looking for it. So I asked one of my cousins back home and he is really close with an elder um, back in Manitoba. That's where I call home. This can be very confusing mostly for people. Uh, most of the time it is because I, my two feet are currently planted in the Niagara region on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe people. But I'm originally from Treaty 1 Manitoba where I was born and raised. So I received my name from an elder out there, which was really important to me that I'd be back home when I got my name. Um, and the ceremony that we, that we went into, um, I just went and spoke with him and, uh, and then he gifted me my name. That's beautiful. Is this um, 
is this elder mm-hmm. someone that you're frequently in touch with still or is this kind of just like a ceremonial aspect right so this elder I don't really have a relationship with him um it was it's my cousin and he still does um the, I say cousin he's we call him uncle because he's older uh and uh so he is still very close and connected with him um but for myself no I've seen that elder um that one time but I was also gifted a drum from that elder so I have two connections with him and uh, that was my first drum that I ever received that's amazing I love that um and I I think I found you years ago um based off a post of you sharing your story but I won't assume that everyone knows and I also recognize that today is the day of remembrance and action on violence against women so kind of in honor of that would you be open to sharing a little bit about about your story yeah absolutely um so I grew up in a Métis community, uh, the little town's called Saint-Estache. It's a French Métis community. This is the community that my father uh, was born and raised. My mother is non-Indigenous, so she is from the Niagara region. And uh, I lived out there. My father was a, a very proud Métis man. He instilled that in me at a young age. There was no... I can't even think of one time when he would have said anything less, but to be proud. I have letters between him and my mother and he, he continued always to be just proud of who he was as an indigenous man. So it's just so inspiring to me. And obviously I saw that in a young age and wanted to, you know, continue that journey for for him. So we had a community member. uh, I don't usually share his name because I don't give it any thought. Uh, He was a, at one point, a close family friend. He grew up with my father and he started to become obsessed with my mother. He started to take my parents' kindness and, and see it from a different lens that he essentially made up in his mind of a fantasy of my mother and him being together. Um, and in November of 1992, after my mother, my father didn't call him to say happy birthday, he was really hurt and he expressed his hurt and his, in anger. And he called my mother and threatened her life. He said that she wouldn't live to see her next birthday and neither would he. And so again, that was in November of 1992. My mother took the call very seriously because at that point it just started to get worse and worse with his comments and the things he was saying. So my parents took it to the RCMP. They called the RCMP. They came out, took a statement. They arrested the man. And then later that night, Uh, he was released on bail. Unfortunately, the RCMP did not tell the police or the judge of any um, concerns that my mother had that he owned a 22 caliber rifle. Um, And so there was nothing put in place to search his home, to seize any weapons. You have to remember, we lived in, live in a hunting community. So, you know, everyone had a gun, I would assume, who was a hunter of some kind, uh, except for 
my mother's concern for the 22 caliber was it was actually a sawed off 22 caliber rifle. So it wasn't, um, I don't believe it was actually registered to him either. And so they continued to let the RCMP know that they were concerned that he continued to make threats. My mother wrote the RCMP a letter in December. And so this continued, um, unfortunately, until December. And the day that they were supposed to go to court, my mother didn't go to the, the court proceedings because of all the failures that had happened up to that point. And Andre was released again on bail because the, the uh, court date was uh, remanded. And so unfortunately, he, he uh, then went on a drinking and drug um, binge. And then just after midnight on uh, January 27th, he came to our home and my older brother opened the door and accidentally let him in thinking it was one of his friends. My older brother was 17 at the time. He was expecting a friend to come over and he let him in. So he entered our home at about uh, just after midnight. The first 911 call went into um, the dispatch at approximately 2.30 in the morning. Um, my brother, my older brother escaped to a nearby home to call the RCMP and myself and my younger brother, who was five, I was nine at the time, were held hostage by him with both of my parents. He uh, shot and killed my father right away. Um, and then he turned the gun on my mother and he kill, uh, killed her. And uh, then he turned the gun on himself and he committed suicide. My younger brother and I had to stay in the house from the first 911 call until the RCMP came in, it was eight hours. We had to wait in the house for the RCMP to come for two more hours um, after everyone had died in the home. Uh, so unfortunately, again, there was many mishaps on the justice system's faults. They, uh, one officer who had received the, the, I believe it, he was the, so how it worked was he would have uh, received the call from uh, one of the officers because he was in command. And uh, instead of dispatching further police or SWAT or he himself, who was the only hostage negotiator waking to wake up and come to our house, he accidentally fell back asleep. Uh, and so we had to wait. And um, because of that, my my mother died. My father wouldn't have been able to have been saved that night because he was he was shot and killed at 2.30 in the morning. But my mother was alive at 6.30 in the morning. Um, so the RCMP very well could have come in. There was an inquiry into their deaths and the uh, RCMP, the way they handled um, the entire situation, but unfortunately nothing was done. Uh, the At the court proceedings, the judge um, actually blamed the townspeople in my community, saying that they should have done more to protect my mother. And uh, I don't know what community members could have done more than what the RCMP should have done. Mm -hmm. And then another RCMP actually took the stand, officer, sorry, took the stand and said that only Sherry knew the grave danger she was in. 
Um, my mother reported to the police several times, including one time when she wrote a handwritten letter to the RCMP office um, that was nearby our community to let them know that she was also concerned he had a uh, handgun. He did enter our house that night with the 22 caliber rifle that my parents had initially told the RCMP about that they failed to tell the judge about. Wow. And I, I want to start off by thanking you for sharing that because I just like I assume it never gets easier necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I think especially with the day that it is um, today and remembering that that violence is so real and these threats are not ever to be taken lightly. Um, think not that I want a society or a place where people need to hear these things to be able to take other people seriously um but even just recognizing the violence in our history the way that the justice system does fail so many of us um mm -hmm. and and things like that so i'm curious in regards to was this something that you find was the exact kind of driving force to becoming such a fierce advocate or did it take you a while to kind of be called into that? Yeah, uh, it took me a while. Um, I wanted to just touch on what you had said about like society needing to know and the awareness of it um, just quickly to say that my mother was one of three women in uh, one week in Winnipeg or in Manitoba that was killed by her stalker. My mother actually ran out of the Misericordia Hospital where she worked in Winnipeg to check the hair color of a woman that was standing at a bus stop that had been shot in the back of the head by her stalker because my mother had lived in so much fear that she assumed that that bullet was for her but it wasn't. Unfortunately, that other woman was gunned down by her stalker in Winnipeg as well. So, and that was in a span of one week. There were laws that were set out, mm -hmm. but not actively being um, in place at that time for stalkers uh, in Winnipeg or in Manitoba, sorry. So. Mm -hmm. And have you um, noticed like a large difference in that legal legislation um I think I just repeated myself there but have you noticed a difference in that legislation in regards to how seriously these these threats um to safety are taken because I know even just chatting with people they always say not always um but you it's not uncommon to be speaking to a woman and her say you know I was stalked home from the bar that night or this ex-boyfriend became a stalker and things like that um so over the span of, you know, your awareness of this component of the justice system, have you noticed a change? No, I don't think so at all. I mean, just look at uh, just this past week in Winnipeg, mm -hmm. the discovery that there has been a serial killer there, um, mm -hmm. specifically killing Indigenous women, right? So I, I, until we all as women can walk the streets without fear I'm not quite sure that you know sometimes I remember my grandmother always saying like it's at the end of the day it's just a piece of paper like it is yeah so and she would say 
what, what good would be holding up a piece of paper when a bullet's coming at you? So mm, that's powerful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, but to speak to how I, you know, kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm someone who believes that the path I've been on has always been the path. Um, mm-hmm. Would I change it? Absolutely. Can I know? So um, to, I guess, give myself a better peace of mind, I, I use it as a crutch in a way to keep moving forward and um, to use that uh, with, to live on purpose. So in, um, I had always shared my family story. My, I'm so so grateful. Both sides of my family always talked about my parents' death. It was never sugarcoated. I witnessed it all. So they, you know, why would they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, the conversations were had with me that were about me. So, you know, I'm very grateful for it. I don't think we think quite often, and I myself am included in that, you know, I always watch my language with my kids because I don't want to, I don't want their innocence taken but Mm -hmm. I think um for my situation it had already been taken so just to empower me by not shaming the story Mm -hmm. it really helped my journey um it's like anything that is you know that happens to you if there's shame put around it one why would you ever want to talk about it right so I always shared my story um and then in 2017, my cousin reached out to me because of her work. She saw my parents' names were named in research done by a professor out in Ottawa because um, they were community members, Indigenous community members and organizations like grassroots organizations were calling on the government for a national inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And so from that, the research was was done and my parents' names were named. And um, so all I did was simply reach out and say, if I can help, I'll, I'll share my story. Never did I imagine a Facebook message from my cousin would ever bring me to where I am now. Never. You, you could have told me and I would have said absolutely no way because that just wasn't where I was. I was never in an advocacy type of role. Um, so awareness, yes, to a minimum. Uh, so I, I testified for the National Inquiry in 2017. And then there was something in me when I heard other people's testimonies that were so similar to mine. You know, we're naturally storytellers. So when we hear that there's someone out there that has a similar story to us or that we can um, really lean in and, and feel understood or even know that someone else could understand us, us and the situation. And I think that kind of sparked something in us. And it did for me anyway. And then in 2019, I was asked um, by uh, Michelle Commissioner, Commissioner Michelle Odette of the National Inquiry, if I would join the National Family Advisory Circle. Again, I went forward with the idea of any way I can help. I genuinely didn't know how that would look. Um, and so I went forward with that and it was at the closing ceremonies of the National Inquiry when when the family's um, survivors uh, handed over the final report to the, the government of this country, I realized I want to do more of this. 
the, I, I don't want to hear more of these stories. I had to sit in rooms and, and listen to other people's stories. I, I shouldn't say I had to, I had the honor of sitting in rooms and listening to other family members stories. And I thought I, you know, like if any way I could possibly help bring change, I want to do just that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how that journey began. And then it's just continued. And along the way, it also became a journey of me reclaiming, um, my, uh, indigeneity. Not that I, you know, I'm privileged. I acknowledge that, that I always had my Métis community to go back on. I knew who I was to a certain degree, but because I was displaced, um, there was a lot that was taken from me and my identity. Mm -hmm. I have endless amounts of respect for you um, for a plethora of reasons, but your ability to not only use that vulnerability and that storytelling to create strength and empowerment in yourself, but you also do an incredible job of creating that space for others to also feel safe to share their stories, to recognize patterns and change behaviors and to also take action and raise awareness as well again going back to kind of honoring today in the national holiday not holiday but the national day of remembrance what are things that you would want everybody male female non-binary um all genders to really walk away with this is an ongoing crisis, missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, two-spirited, LGBTQQIA+. Um, it's an ongoing crisis. I do want to take this opportunity to recognize that Indigenous men are going missing and murdered mm. as well. So um, when people can really understand and start to grasp, like do the work to understand how colonial violence, residential schools, how they all intertwine and connect to this modern daytime of these murders and um, people going missing. Mm -hmm. They'll really understand just how it's all connected. Like, uh, so the, that is something that I want people to understand because uh, even, you know, my husband, he's not an indigenous and I just started to see it in him at the very beginning of this journey. Like how does people not see this? So if you're listening to this and you're like, ah, I don't really, you know, understand how that's connected, do the work, listen to the stories. And I promise you along the way, you'll be able to connect that to the, the genocide of indigenous folks in this country mm -hmm. um and on top of reading um the calls to action and things like that what are ways because people tend to say like you know I just feel so helpless like I'm aware um and things like that but what are tangible ways that people can can move forward in kind of helping to shape this and make it different for the future yeah okay so there are there's there's the 231 calls for justice but what i can say that's tangible is go to the calls for justice for canadians it's a shorter list 
and you can take those and you can literally implement them so easily. You can implement them into your organizations. Uplift and hold space for Indigenous folks. That is how you can continue to move forward. Um, it it might not tell, it's like, okay, well, how uplift? Give space, give voice, um, you know, spread awareness if you hear about a fundraiser. Like literally all of those things, I think if you do one, I can't see you not wanting to do the next step or the next. Like it, it, it just starts to become something that you will do on the daily. And that is a, that's what you want. You want that constant motion of moving forward and reconciliation. Doing one thing is is not enough, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and I think with all positions of advocacy, um, there comes the sense of you know things get heavy, and I don't think people recognize always that they have the space and capacity to be able to put it down. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's down forever, but sometimes you need to take breaks and kind of fill your own cup and have the ability to continue moving forward without feeling, um, burnt out or that it's taking a lot of your essence away. What are some ways that you practice that form of self-care? Mm, no matter what, I go to drumming on Mondays. I say no matter what, with the exception of, I think in the last year, I've missed maybe four drumming sessions, maybe five. Uh, but um, drumming, once it was introduced to me, that's my self-care because I get to be around family, community. So so be aware, try to be aware at the very least of like what it is that makes you feel good. We say that in our day to day, but do we really pay attention to it? And that's something I realized that when I'm drumming, I have had my least um, amount of, of depression. Um, so I noticed right away that drumming was really important to me to be with community. And then just taking time to be with my my family. You know, I'm a mom of three and having that time with them, but then also having time with myself and my friends, like mm-hmm. just taking that time. Um, so really just, I I do, I think like it's, you know, I, I would have said probably about five years ago, okay, good advice, like pay attention to the things that make you feel good. But now after like really being in the thick of, you know, advocacy work and wanting to throw my hands up in the air, I've told myself I was going to quit a million times. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just keep, you keep doing it because then you, you take some time for yourself. So. Mm -hmm. I really love that you're able to kind of find and connect to that community as, as like that recharge for you. I think that's really powerful. I also, um, I really love that your dad was such a big um, advocate for, not even advocate, but just so um, honored and seemed like he really adored and um, 
I'm trying to think of the proper wording, but in terms of really connecting you with culture, being pr- proud, there we go. Um, can you tell my baby yeah. was up all night, but being really proud of his culture, where he came from and being able to really instill that in you, um, which as I grow older and more and more like that is such an important and essential part of how I shape my day-to-day interactions and also like how I really want to shape my son's childhood. But what are some ways that you kind of introduce that and keep that running within uh, your family household and with your children? Yeah. So one thing I love, and I wish I could, I mean, I wish I could ask my dad lots of questions, but Mm -hmm. I don't, No, I should ask my, so who I call my quote adoptive dad is actually my dad's best friend. Um, And so I, uh, and I call him dad. So I say that I should ask him. I don't believe that my grandfather was as proud as my father was. I hate to say it, the term, he was like totally a hippie. He was carefree. So uh, he was like, no, I'm going to take this back. And so I want to continue to do what he was doing for me, for my kids. And by doing that, I just, I'm out in community. I do the things I invite my kids. If they don't want to come, they don't want, they don't want to come. I have a 17 year old, whether it was cultural things or not, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be with his mom. Right. So I'm going to give him the time to, to find that out, that space on his own. And my daughter, I mean, you were there, we had a fundraiser and she's, Mm -hmm. That was the second annual um, fundraiser that we did. And she asked me, can I come, mom? Can I come and help again? So so she loved it, right? So Mm -hmm. so it's those ways. I'm exposing them to both the rallies, the Mm -hmm. walks, but I'm also exposing them to the, the cultural, beautiful connection part of it too. And my youngest... He already has a drum. He was gifted a drum that. this year for his birthday. My two older ones don't even have drums yet. <laughs> um, so it's just like it, in those ways. And I, you know, I this is again for myself, my belief. I believe that it whatever is going to come to them and the way that it's coming to them and the time, um, that's when it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I just so respect that you kind of give them the space to figure out how involved they want to be or not how much do they want to participate in things like that because I think like we said previously like it's all part of your journey um and it's it's tough when you kind of force it on kids um because then maybe they don't appreciate it as much growing up or they grow resentful and things like that so you're doing a you're doing a great job. Not that you need to hear it from me, but <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, it means a lot because my oldest, he, you know, if I invited him to drumming, he would probably say no. But I mean, he volunteered for the, the powwow and he was mm-hmm. there. So so he got to be there. He got to be exposed to it and he'll take what he needed from that Ooh. with him. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a really good line. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. I love your family. I adore all of you, um, so much. Uh, and I think like the first time, I don't think it was the first time we met in person. Maybe it was, 
they were so close together the two events but there was that coming home event where you spoke about like the concept of home and where you feel at home um and I found that like a common thread with a lot of the speakers and even the attendees that were having conversations was it's more in where do you feel that peace with like those people and things like that um and so seeing that seeing how beautiful and mutually respective your relationship with your husband is is so powerful um especially when there is trauma there and things like that and a lot of people feel that you know when they have any sort of trauma or anything like that that they maybe are not worthy or deserving of that like kind and nurturing love and so seeing it time and time again with you and your family is so beautiful thank you what is, and I guess I kind of touched on this, but we'll kind of broaden it. What is something about your story, your advocacy, your parenting journey, your relationship, whatever, um, that you think is important for everyone to hear? Mm. Gosh, all of it. It's all connected. It's all, mm-hmm. it's, you know, for me, I have people, People quite often say to me, you have the most beautiful but strange connections. I can be able to pull, like there is, it's one of my favorite things to do is to think about the connection um, and then tie it in and see where it brings, where it later connects and in, in the journey and the story. So um, I know that's like, not a great answer saying all all of it but I love it though thank you for me (laughs) it's again because I know some people like despise hearing you know everything happens for a reason Mm -hmm. Um, for me it's more about uh, taking the the story the journey the path that I've been given the one that I'm supposed to be on and and going with it and honoring it um, and I think one of the fav- one of my favorite things is that I've been able to, when it's a really shitty, sorry, my language, that's okay, crappy situation. It's, you know, it could be something, it could be a death. It could be just the way the day is going. Sometimes not always, I have maybe the strength that has been given to me is that I can sit and think, okay, reflect, what can you learn from this? what will be coming from this, right? Or what am I letting go from this? What am I losing in a positive way from this? So I guess the the ability to reflect a little more on my journey has really, is probably one of the best things. That's so powerful. That's probably one of my favorite answers. I ask this at the end of every episode because it's always so fascinating to see kind of what people find is like the prioritizing thread. Um, but it's all so interconnected. So being Mm -hmm. able to say all of it, I love it. What is something that you're currently working on or towards? Oh. Oh, gosh. Um, Storytelling more. Yeah. That's me giving a hint in a way of without saying too much. Storytelling more. Bringing people together um, Mm -hmm. 
I love being able to bring together people, but in a different way. So I'm really working on that and the the storytelling of it, um, because I think there's so much power in it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I know one time uh, my therapist said that I'm very much a connector and I was like, I never would have thought of it, but it's true. I, I love it. It's so essential, I think, to especially people um, like myself that really like experience a really good sense of community. And even like, honestly, mm-hmm. like social media has been amazing for me um, because of yeah. the community I've been able to build for myself and so on. Um, and so having that, that connection piece is so essential. Yeah. Yeah. I shared with you off camera about a, a profound call I had. Mm-hmm. So this year I am living, um, I'm being, I'll still be doing things. You still do the work, but we often get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. And so that, that came from advice from Jesse Wente. Ooh. I like to give that being. That's Just your word of the year. Being. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I've been trying to think of mine. And it's, it's been a toughie. I'm going to have to do a lot of like reflection to really the past couple of years, it came to me pretty easy. I was pregnant. It was surrender. I was like, I have no control (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and things like that. But yeah, I'm like, I I need to really start thinking so I can kind of implement some of those things. Um, Well, thank you. Like I said, I have endless love and respect for you and I appreciate you so much sharing your story, sharing about advocacy, and just taking the time to join me today. Thank you so much. It means so much to sit down and have this conversation with you. And I take healing every time I share. So I just want to thank you for that. 